one or two want to greet each one of you this morning in Jesus' name. That uh, fountain, the water of life, he has uh, been blessed by being here already this morning. We've learned a lot. We sang a lot of good things. Um, the songs were inspiring this morning. Some of them went very well along with um, the topic, the message I have here. We sang about the comforter being calm. And I think oftentimes we forget how blessed of a state, of an era we live in since Pentecost. The comforter has come. And walking in sunlight, um, hopefully that's all of your experience this morning, that you're rejoicing, you're walking in the light. Um, I know there's things around us sometimes, circumstances, whatever it may be, that tend to take our joy away. And uh, it's a little bit about what I want to talk about this morning. <clears throat> I got some feedback on uh, some topics or things that you would like to hear. And one of those was uh, living life abundantly. So, uh, cover your prayers as we look into this this morning. I'd like to take my text from uh, John chapter 7. So you can turn there. Some of you might be thinking about John 10, where Jesus there said that he's the good shepherd, and I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. But when I, uh, the first thing that came to my mind when I thought of abundant life was this, this verse here in John 7. John 7 verses 37 and 38. <clears throat> and this, this, this passage here is full, this chapter. I don't think we do justice to just pick out these two verses without getting the context here. Um, if you read there here in chapter 7, Jesus went up to the temple here at the Feast of Tabernacles. Feast of Tabernacles was the uh, also sometimes called the Feast of Booths. I think Daniel actually talked about that that feast actually going on over in Israel when they were there just this past this past uh, fall. So that's what was happening here. This was the context. This is where Jesus was. Um, feast of Tabernacles was a it was a celebration. It was a week-long feast of God's faithfulness to His people in their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And so people would camp out, if you please, around Jerusalem, around the temple, in booths and in tents. And it'd be a week festival. It started on a Sabbath day and ended on a Sabbath day. Actually, eight days. So that's what was happening here. And if you see the, uh, the first part of the chapter here, we see that uh, Jesus... Kindred, his brothers, says his, his brethren in verse 2, um, were telling Jesus that, you know, why don't you go up to the Judea and to the feast and uh, let your these wonderful works you're doing be known. Make yourself public. And Jesus was sort of in secret here because of all the opposition, the persecution that he was facing. So Jesus, I think, had actually skipped the past Passover 
because he had not gone up to Jerusalem for the Passover six months before this, because of all the opposition, because of the danger of going into Judea, I think he had pretty much spent this last year or year and a half in Galilee mostly, ministering there, kind of staying away from Judea because of the Jews wanted to kill him. And we see here that his brothers were, or his kindred, his family was telling him to go up to the feast. And uh, what we see there in verse 5, it says how his brothers also didn't believe. His, his own family actually didn't believe who he was. So Jesus said, well, my time is not yet come. He says, you go ahead and go up to the feast. And uh, my time is yet not full come, he said. So he's, you see that he didn't accompany his family to the feast. He actually arrived a few days later. He kind of went up in secret. This is what was going on here. And if you go on through, through chapter 7, there's all kinds of controversy about who Jesus was. All kinds of murmurings. The people, even before I think Jesus arrived, were already talking about. They were wondering where he's at. People were trying to figure out who he is. Some say he was a deceiver. And, uh, you know, just on and on. They murmured against him. Some believed, some thought he was the Christ. Um, so Jesus has this dialogue a few times before here in chapter 7, but in verse 14 he says, Now about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. So about the middle of the week, Jesus arrived, came up in secret out of Galilee. This was about six months before Jesus' death. So he was nearing the end of his ministry here. And he was teaching here in the temple. And uh, we see here just before our text here in verses 37 and 38, <clears throat> he had there was actually a group of officers been sent from the Pharisees to take him, to arrest him. And so this was the context in where Jesus was teaching. There was actually in that, in that group of people, those there that had come to arrest him. You see that in verse 32. The Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. And Jesus actually talked to those. But then here it says in verse 37, He says, The last day of the feast, because of the last and great day of the feast here, Jesus stood and cried. Jesus stood up. He lifted his voice. I think there was probably a multitude of people there. Possibly thousands of people. And they were getting ready to disperse. This was the last day of the feast. People were packing up, getting ready to go home. And he cried out. This, this is what he said. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living, of living water. I had to think of Isaiah chapter 55. 
you kind of get the same kind of a vibe, the same kind of a feel. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, let him come to the waters and drink. Isaiah 12 verse 3. says, therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. Jesus was fulfilling some of these prophecies here. In Isaiah 44, verse 3, says this, For I will pour out upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thine offspring. And I understand here at the... Uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles, it was kind of their custom to to pour water over the altar. Water was a, I don't understand all of what was going on. It was like this libation offering, which was a pouring out of water across, upon the altar. And probably right at this time, when the priest was doing this, is when Jesus stood up and cried this. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So this was the context. There was a mixed multitude here. People had all kinds of different ideas of who Jesus was. There was people there to arrest him. There was people there saying he must be the prophet. There was people there saying he's got to be the Christ. But we see in verse 39, John here puts a little commentary in here. Actually, he actually tells us what Jesus was referring to in verse 39. He said, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy, Spirit, Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So Jesus was speaking here of Pentecost, of this era that we are in, the Spirit of God coming down. In John 10 where he talks about I am come that they might have life and that they ha might have it more abundantly. I wonder if that more abundant life isn't this era after Pentecost. It's this more abundant life Jesus brought. It's a life that it's a Holy Spirit in filling that the, children, the people in the Old Covenant didn't experience. Paul in his epistles says one place that the leather killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So most of what the Old Covenant was, was don't do this, and don't do that, and make a sacrifice for this. And, and you know, it was, all, it was about all what you meant do, and also what you should do. But it was almost like contrary to their nature. Because I think in that way is the way the leather killeth, but the Spirit, he says, giveth life. And this is what... Jesus, I think here he's talking about. He's not only telling us now what we can't do and what we're not supposed to, but he's given us the power and the life to do it and to live above it is what they didn't have in the Old Covenant. And, you know, we understand all these things. I'm not here this morning telling you anything new. These are just old truths. But I think it's always good to be reminded. I thought of the uh, verse in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, where it says, For my people have committed two evils. 
They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And I think that's exactly what was still happening right here in Jesus' day with the Pharisees. They have, they have committed two evils. First one, they have forsaken Jesus, the fountain of living water. And the second one is they hewed them out cisterns. They had an alternative, okay, but those cisterns held no water. They didn't satisfy. And I think, you know, those truths are still very valid today. How many people are rejecting the fountain of living water and seeking some broken system, some alternative that's broken? It can't satisfy. It won't hold water. The devil's got all kinds of counterfeits, all kinds of alternatives. Abundant life. This sounds like abundant life to me. John 4, Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. John 4, 13 and 14, he says it this way. He told the woman at the well, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The water that Jesus gives is going to be a well of water in him springing up unto everlasting life. Into everlasting life, he says. So this life begins here, and it says it springs all the way into eternal life. I think Jesus is just saying the same thing in a different way. Sounds very much the same. So can we are we experiencing what Jesus has to offer us? Is this our testimony? Is that what's happening inside of us? Is this verse true of you? Is it true of me? I ask myself that question. just like to pick this verse apart a little bit. Verse 37, just our text here. And uh, see what we can learn from it. Believing for one. Or maybe I should back up in verse 37. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. A lot of thirsty people today. I think there is. I think there's a lot of thirsty people today. A lot of needs around us. I think so. Is the invitation still sounding out? I think so.
question for me is, and for you always, where are you going to quench your thirst? Where are you turning? What are you going to? We all understand that, you know, there's many alternatives. There's many things the devil lays in front of us. There's many things, you know, if you'd only do this, maybe I'd be happy. Maybe this would satisfy. Jesus is speaking here and he says, come unto me. You know, we all know this stuff. We all know. But yet, sometimes do we act like we know? Why do we, why are we so, so uh, quick to run after this, to run after that? When the source, the fountain, is right there, it's available for us. Why do we think so quickly that this is going to bring me satisfaction or this is going to make me happy? You name it. It can be so different for so many different people. All the time they're bypassing the fountain of life. The source of water. This living water. Just simply believing. The first part of verse 38. He that believeth on me. I think we underestimate believing so many times. We just simply don't believe it. Or we just simply don't believe it to the degree that we should. We all know in our head. We all know in our head that Jesus is the answer. We all know in our head that he's got the solutions. But oftentimes we don't get it down in our heart. We don't actually believe that he is who he said he was. That he can actually satisfy us to the core. Our deepest needs are met there. Talks about our belly. I think it's talking about our innermost being. Why do we turn so quickly to so many other things when Jesus has the answer? When Jesus is the life? When he's the source? You know, John talked a lot about eternal life. And oftentimes the connection between eternal life, believing and eternal life were often in the same phrase or the same verse or at the same place. Believe eternal life. Believe eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in me should have everlasting life. John 20 The last verse, I think it is, says, But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that believing you might have life through his name. So it's very simple. It's believing in God. It's believing Jesus is who he said he was. It's believing that he will meet my needs. How often when we're right in the middle of it, we forget Jesus got the answer. He's got it. But we don't, we don't often, we forget and we, either we turn to other places or we don't dig in and find it. 
just simply believing God, putting their faith in Him. You know, I thought about the people that Jesus healed in His day. I think before Jesus healed them, at least most times, they first of all believed He could, right? They oftentimes ask. Sometimes they cried. Thought of blind Bartimaeus. He was sitting along the street. Jesus was coming up the street. And he was crying out. Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. And the people said, shh, 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 just, just, you know. And he cried the louder, he says. Do you believe it? Did he believe Jesus could heal him? Apparently he did. Apparently he did. Because he wouldn't have cried out like that if he wouldn't have. How often do we cry out to God? We're crying out. We're pleading for mercy. That just shows our faith in him. Shows we believe he's got the answer. If we're not, if we're not asking, if we're not seeking, if we're not crying out, probably shows our lack of faith. They came to him because they believed he could make a difference. Are we coming to him because we're believing he makes the difference? The importance of believing. Believe in Him. You know, that's one theme you see in the book of John. Over and over again, He emphasizes, believe in Him. And Jesus emphasizes, believe me. I am who I said I was. I am who I said I am. Believe me. Young folks, believe Him. He's got the answer. Believe in Him. He is who He said He was. He is who he said he is. Believe him. Put your faith in him. Trust him. The next phrase. As the scripture has said, he says, he that believeth on me as the scripture has said. There's a lot of controversy right here in the temple. And they were using the scripture. The Pharisees were saying, or the people, some of the murmuring against him was, you know, the scripture says he's coming from Bethlehem. This isn't the Messiah. He's from Galilee. We know where he's from. And these officers that came back to the Pharisees, you know, like verses 47, 48, 49, these officers came back to the Pharisees without Jesus. And the, the Pharisees, I think, were probably a little upset. Why didn't you bring him? They said, never man spake like this. And they said, are you also deceived? Then the Pharisees said this in verse 49, but this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. They were saying, well, these people that are believing in Jesus, they don't know what they don't know the scripture, they don't know the law. Jesus said, 
He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said. Do we know the scriptures? The Pharisees were students of the, uh, the, the uh, scribes and Pharisees were students of the law. And they missed it. They thought he didn't. They thought the scriptures. They thought they knew the scriptures. And they thought because they knew the scriptures, they knew he's not the Christ. That's exactly what they thought. Do we know the scriptures? Are we believing on him as the scriptures have said? Again, where do you turn when you're in distress? Where do you turn when you're thirsty? Where do you turn when you need comfort? Is it this book? Sometimes we think this book is dry. There's not a lot of life there. It's just kind of empty. We're just not getting much out of it. Verse 38 says this, He that believeth on me as the scriptures has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Does that sound kind of dry or empty or without life? I'm speaking to myself here, folks. I know I don't value these scriptures like I should. I don't know them like I should. But I am learning that they are the answer. They have the resources we need. The answers are here. They are right here. It's just amazing sometimes to me how somebody can open their Bible and open up the scriptures and read and they're just bringing out things I've never seen. It's right there. It's right there before my eyes. I'm sure I read it before many times. For some reason it just... He that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said. This book, this scripture is a powerful tool and a weapon. It is, like, like Paul says, it's quick. And powerful. It's alive. Is it that to you? Are the scriptures that to you? Quick means it's alive. Are the scriptures alive to you? Quick and powerful. One of the things I thought of that sometimes, I mean, this, this is true for me, so I can speak a little bit from experience, but I imagine a lot of you are like me. One of the hindrances sometimes to, to, or, or ways we could read the scriptures, ways that sometimes um, maybe, uh, how would you say, take away from what the scriptures are. Sometimes we, we don't see the scriptures in a right view. Or we... Uh, we don't see them quite in the right light. One of the things that that I've that I've uh, learned, I guess, and I think I'm still learning, is you know I think in the past some I've read the scriptures kind of a little bit abstractly, like um, yeah, the places and the people were real, but they're just sort of out there. 
The stories are just sort of out there. And you don't really bring it right into home and recognize that these people and places and stories are... These people weren't, weren't any different than how we are today. These stories are real. These people were real. They were people like you and I. The stories that happened to them, they lived life a lot like we do. Capernaum and Bethsaida and Galilee and Nazareth. They were towns like Mifflin Town and Lewistown and Walnut are to us. Bring it right in. And I know we know that, but let's get it in our heart. Let's see this thing from that perspective. These, these men were, these people and these stories were real people just like we are. Read the scriptures in that light. Bring it right down to your level and recognize that these stories and what, I don't think we're minimizing or taking away from Scripture by doing that. Their life and their stories were just like ours in one sense. Sure, their culture was different in a lot of ways, probably. But, you know, I've lived, we lived in Paraguay for three years, and, you know, sure, in one way, everything's different. Culture, the way you do things, just everything. But in another way, those people have the same problems and same they're people just like we are. That's that's who the people in the scriptures are too. They're not that. They're not, in one sense, any different. The stories we read, read the scriptures in its context. Get the story. Think about put yourself in their shoes and think about what was happening. That's helped me a lot, and the scriptures just coming to light. I think another thing sometimes we do is <clears throat> then another then another thing sometimes you know we, we have these holy men of the scripture we have these heroes of faith you know and they are I'm not trying to minimize who they were and what they did and not but they were men like we were they're not way out there somewhere on a pedestal that we can never attain to no they were men God made them great they weren't great in themselves. The same power that was available to them is also available to us. It is. God can change us just like He did them. So we I've at least if you're like me, I've oftentimes sort of you know just put them out there like well, that was him, you know. I just, I'll never, and in a sense, I hope you understand me here. But in another sense, there were men and women just like we were. And God worked mightily in them. And He can do the same with us if we allow Him to. Another thing we often tend to do is the sins, the, the shortcomings then. It's kind of funny how we do things. I don't know how, why we do things like this, but the shortcomings, we, the examples of the children of Israel, things like idolatry and immorality, things like that, well, that was them. You know, that's so far from us, we just, we would never do things like that. Really? Well, I'm here to say we do. We do. 
were people just like they were. Some of the same sins and shortcomings and failures they had, we also have. We're pretty hesitant to admit that at times. But I'm here to say we do. Let's read the scriptures. Let's get the stories. Let's read it in the context. Let's understand what it's saying. Sometimes the scripture is a little hard to read. You know, it's old English. It's, it's not easy literature just to go over and just, you know, soak it in. Sometimes you have to dig a little, study, get the context, see what it's saying. Get your Strong's Concordance out. Dig in. Understand these scriptures. Find out what they are and who, and what they're talking in. The context of what it's saying. And the scriptures I've found will open up to you and they still are. This is becoming and still is. I hope it's all your favorite book. This is book is full. Get to know the scriptures. Remember again, our context is abundant life. What's the abundant life? He that believeth on me, as the scriptures had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Do you know what the scripture says? Do you get the stories? Do you go back there and live it out with them and understand the lessons in the scripture? They're there. Lord, open our eyes. Open my eyes. May the scripture become your favorite book. You know, the Lord can, if you continue to feed the right thing, the Lord changes your heart with it. And that this book can become like you're anticipating what the scriptures are going to tell me this morning. Your daily devotions can be rich. They're full. And that half an hour, an hour you spend with the Lord is like something you love. It's not a duty anymore. Water. Again, going back to our text here. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I like the picture of living water here. You know, water is often portrayed as something that's life-giving. And water is an essential. We all know that. Water. That's the picture you get here. That's the picture that Jesus uses to describe the Spirit of God. That's one picture He uses. He uses other things as well, other places. He says, I'm the bread of life. Other times He uses bread. 
Sometimes the Spirit of God is likened to wind and to fire. Here he's saying the water, living water. You know, water can only fill something that's empty before. Empty vessels. First have to empty ourselves before we can be filled with living water. You see here a connection. You see here, it, it uses the verb there, flowing. Rivers of living water. You know, a river or a stream that is gushing and tumbling. It's fresh water. It's living water. That's the picture you get here. Rivers of living water. It's not a stagnant pool of water. No, no. It's water that's alive. It's rushing. It's fresh. I heard one man explain it once like a water wheel. You got the source coming in. It's turning that wheel and spilling out. And so we're like a channel. Rivers come in and flow back out. And you know, the water that ran over the wheel yesterday isn't the same water that's going to power the wheel today and now. It's a continual flow. You shut that water off, the wheel's going to stop and the power's going to be lost. You need that connection. Fellowship, communion with the fountain of living water. You need to be connected to the source. Fresh water. Not the water, not the grace he's given you for last week. Not yesterday's water. Fresh water. Flowing water. So we're to be like channels. The water flows through us. And it almost seems like the water that God gives us he almost looks to here like he multiplies it because he says out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. So we, we find ourselves thirsty. We come and drink from the fountain of life. And then the, the consequence of that is there's rivers of living water flowing out of us. It almost looks like it comes almost without, without intention. It's like we come to God because we're thirsty. We have needs. And because we found the source of life and the water of life, and we find it supplies our uttermost being, it supplies our utmost our deepest needs and the, and what happens is it fills us way more than we can even contain and it overflows and then just the result of it is just rivers of water flowing out of us but Jesus never meant to pour out his spirit upon us and that we can contain it he never meant that 
We're meant to be channels. We're meant for this stuff to just run through us. You're talking about abundant life. You're talking about fulfilled life. That's it. It's not the life that's just taking it in. It's life that's also giving it out. You know, we're meant to bless the world. By the life that Jesus gives us. And when we fail to do that, and I think it's a problem. I actually do. I think it's a problem we have. We've been blessed abundantly. Above measure. We got resources and helps and study guides and you name it. Schools and teaching programs. We've got it all. And sometimes I think we're in it just what we can get out of it instead of recognizing this stuff is supposed to flow through us. And we're actually kind of selfish with it. We're just kind of hoarding it. And we're just here wallowing in all this. And we see how that can be very counterproductive. And God also start, pretty soon starts taking away what we have if we're not good stewards. We're not, if this stuff isn't flowing through us, like it should be. I think that's when the Lord often takes it away from us. Meant to bless the world. You know, I thought, you know, the alternatives oftentimes. The other places people go when they're thirsty. You know, they got this need, they got this problem, they got this stress there. They turn to other places and they often, it's often, the only thing they have in mind is themselves. And you know, they're very selfish. It's about me. It's about having my needs met. It's about, and oftentimes, you see how opposite this is of what this text talks about. Sometimes it even comes at, rather than blessing others, sometimes it even comes at the expense of others. See how opposite that is of what this scripture is teaching? A fountain of life just flows through us and blesses. Others, <clears throat> I kind of get the picture that we kind of lose ourselves here. We come because we're thirsty and we recognize this fountain of life. We come there. And, and almost like we forget about ourselves because we're drinking from Him and the, the life is just flowing out of us and ourselves are hardly in the picture. We're just worshiping, we're drinking from the fountain. And the result of that is just blessing everybody around us. We kind of lose ourselves. I think that's the secret. That's the fulfilled life. That's the abundant life. I just think of 
The song we sing sometimes, it says, lift me up above the shadows. Just again, coming back to our topic, our text here, is living abundantly. Having, allowing this river of life to flow through you. How do we live above? Maybe, maybe sometimes we think, yeah, I could, I could experience that life if just this would be taken care of. Just this. But if just, if it just be this would, would be taken care of, I could be so much happier. I think as long as we live here, there's always going to be that but or if, if we allow it to be. We've got to learn to live above the circumstances that are around us. We can't, we, we gotta quit making excuse. The reason I'm not having life flowing out of me is because of this or because of that. Because of, look at the context Jesus was in here. The life flowed out of him, I mean, in the midst of strong, terrible circumstances. The life continued just to flow out. There was officers in that crowd there that came to arrest him. The life just continued flowing out of him. How did he lift? How did he live above the circumstances? How did he mount up with wings as eagles, like Isaiah says, and soar above all this stuff? I think we can too. Jesus said in John 16, he says, in the world, he told his disciples, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. He didn't say the tribulation's going to go away. He didn't say the circumstances are going to change. No. He said, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Can we make that our testimony? Can we be of good cheer in spite of all the problems and bad circumstances, instead of all the trouble? Can we still be of good cheer? Can we still hear that river of life flowing out of us? I think so. I think so. See, like I said, I'm talking to myself. I'm still learning this. We live in a broken world, brothers and sisters. But we're going to have to be able to live above it. And Jesus is the answer. He's the source. He's that fountain of life. The Apostle Paul is a good example. He wrote letters. Sit in a dungeon. Circumstances around him were terrible. And he was talking about abounding and joy and rejoicing. How could he do it? He was connected to the source of life. <laughs> We can do the same. It's up to us. We can soar above these things. The life is available in spite of our circumstances. We can. And I just, like I said, I'm still learning this myself, but I've come to the place, you know, there's always going to be trouble. There's always going to be some circumstances. There are going to be issues. There's always going to be. We live in a broken world again. Do we have to allow these things to hinder us from having life? We don't. We don't. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said. 
one of the things, just a just a just a little nugget. One of the things that helped me was just recognizing, just just trying, just actually being intentional about. You know, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of things. There's a lot of trouble. There's things to work through. There's, but am I going to let it get to me? I just use that term. I think you all know what I mean. Am I going to let it get to me, or am I going to, am I going to live above it? Am I going to put my trust in the Lord? Am I going to draw from Him in spite of? We can do that. I'm still learning that. But we can. It's like when I let it get to me, that's when you start to lose your joy. That's when you start to lose your life. You just let it get to you. It's just, do we need to do that? No, we don't. Life's available for us. I'll just read the text again. In that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Let's kneel for prayer.